I already said good morning, and you heard it three times, so I'm not going to say it again. So, <laughs> uh, Really excited to be with you guys to share uh, the word with you. Um, we're going to be talking about something that I get really jazzed up about. Um, but let me ask you a question first. How many of you guys uh, regret something in your life? Uh, maybe something you did, like a long, long time ago when you were a teenager. Maybe you did something and you're like, why did I do that? Or maybe it was like something very, very serious, like you engaged in something that was like, I wish I never engaged in that because I'm still reaping consequences for that. Like there are these things in our life that we do and later on we're like, I don't know if God can forgive something like that, right? Um, my mom served 17 years in the Navy. She had two deployments, went to Iraq, and she had to do a lot of stuff that to this day she struggles to understand, like, like does God, can, can God forgive some of the stuff that I did or had to do on the front lines in a war? Can God really forgive those things? And so whatever it is for you, today we're going to be talking about something uh, that speaks directly to that kind of like regret that maybe some of us have in our lives. I know I do. Um, so we're going to take a break from our time in Second Peter today. And we've been like during these like off, I guess, off series, standalone messages, we've been looking at some names of God. Uh, Pastor Sam, the last time we did this, spoke of Jehovah Nissi. And so today we're going to be looking at a name of God um, that I think speaks directly to regret that we have of things that we've done or things that maybe we're like, I don't know if God can forgive that thing. Um, <clears throat> so last Christmas we did a series called Unto Him, uh, and we looked at like the four names that were given to Christ in Isaiah. And during my sermon I spoke about the significance of names in Jewish culture. So. Like in the Jewish culture, names are not just like these, these names that we give to, to our children that are just used to identify them, like to make them unique from everyone else. <laughs> uh, but they actually kind of encompassed who uh, they were, who like, like if God did something in the parent's life, like they named them this thing to, to be almost like a memorial, like, like this encompassed who they were. And so it's important for us to take pauses and to reflect on the names of God, because scripture gives us many names that either people attribute to God or God attributes to himself with the effort of not just knowing a name, but knowing God himself. And so today we're going to be looking at Jehovah has said. Try and say that. Okay, yeah, Jehovah has said. That's what we're going to be looking at today. But before we dive into all of what that means, uh, let me pray really fast. <clears throat> Lord, thank you. God, number one for your scriptures, thank you that you have directly spoken to us through your scriptures. And you continue to speak to us through your scriptures. And I thank you, Lord, that through these scriptures, your revealed word of God, that you give us so many names that either you attribute to yourself yourself or people attribute to you in knowing you. Thank you for that, Lord. Help us today to um, not just get a bunch of head knowledge of this name, 
but help it to really take root in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would mend broken hearts, wounded hearts. I pray, Jesus, that you would even lead people to your son this morning. And so I thank you, and we lift all of this up to you, Father. We say this in your mighty name. Amen. So a good place to start with Jehovah has said is to start with scripture. Where does this name even appear in the Bible? So first of all, the name Jehovah has said means God of forgiveness. That's what it means. And the Hebrew word has said appears all throughout your Bible. It, I mean, it's probably the most repeated word in scripture besides the name of God. Um, so I'm going to give you a few examples. So in Daniel chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, has said, for we have rebelled against him. In Psalm 40, chapter, uh, verse 11, it says, As for you, Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love, your said, and your faithfulness will preserve me. So all throughout Scripture, there's the, like, has said is used to characterize God's love, particularly his love for his people. Like this is, this is a particular type of way that God loves his people steadfastly with, with faithfulness. But where is it attributed to his name? Like this is you, God, your name is Jehovah has said. And for that, we're going to be in chap, uh, Nehemiah chapter 9. Uh, you can start turning there. It'll be verses 16 and 17 will be kind of the main chunk that we'll be looking at. Um, but if you're not familiar with the book of Nehemiah, let me give you some brief context. Nehemiah was one of many Israelites who were taken captive by the Babylonians when they came into Israel and they destroyed their temple. They destroyed their city. It was laid waste. And the reason why God allowed this is judgment on the people. The people engaged in sin and they went their own ways. They were doing a bunch of idolatry. They were doing all these things, which God said, if you go about doing this way, I will allow the nations to come and to take you into exile. And that is exactly what happened. You can read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles if you want to look more into that. But Nehemiah was one who was taken. And some years after that event, um, <clears throat> The king, Artaxerxes, allowed Nehemiah, like God put it in Nehemiah's heart to go back to Jerusalem and to start rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And so he prayed and he fasted and he asked the king, can I go? And the king said, yes. And the king gave him a band of people. And this was the task. This is all the book of Nehemiah is about. Nehemiah is encouraging the Israelites. We're going to build these walls. We're going to restore Jerusalem. So they're in a very, like, desperate place. Like, they've been to the lowest of the low of the low. And in chapter 9, we get to this point where they are reading the law again for the first time in a lot of years, right, together as a congregation, as an assembly. And they're, re they're recounting the ways in which God has been faithful to them. God, you parted the waters during the time of Moses. God, you provided manna in the wilderness. You did all these beautiful things. But then it says that they rebelled. And that's where we're going to pick up today. So again, it's Nehemiah chapter 9. <clears throat> the screens are going to save 16 and 17. I'm going to pick it up in verse 15, um, just for context's sake. 
But this is what it says. And if you don't have a Bible, also there's a Bible in your seat, underneath your seat. So Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15, it says this. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. You guys remember the, the series on Joshua. This is, this is the recounting of that. Verse 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. And here it is. But you are a God of forgiveness, or your translation might say a God ready to forgive gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. So, Nehemiah attributes God this name, Jehovah has said, the God of forgiveness. One commentator even said it like this, the God of pardons. Isn't that beautiful? Like the God of pardons, of like iniquity and sin. <clears throat> and so Nehemiah attributes this forgiveness to God in the context of their regret and repentance. They're like, our fathers did not obey, and we did not obey. That's why we went into exile, right? Generations were in exile because we did not obey you, Lord. And they're in this deep place, and that is when Nehemiah introduces this beautiful name, Jehovah has said, you are the God of forgiveness. And so... A question we got to ask, though, is what kind of forgiveness is being attributed to God's name? Because you might have a definition of forgiveness that differs from the person next to you. And both of you might have a definition of forgiveness that differs from the Word of God. Like, we can be wrong on this, right? We could go too far on either side of what forgiveness actually is in the biblical sense. And so what is this? Is it a temporary forgiveness? Is this a uh, forgiveness that God is giving with the expectation of perfection? Is this a forgiveness that God is getting expecting anything in return? What is this? And so the beautiful thing about Nehemiah is he gives, he attributes forgiveness to God. You are the God of forgiveness, Jehovah has said. But he gives also three descriptors that characterize this forgiveness, that, that kind of talks about what exactly this forgiveness is. And we're going to unpack all three of those things. So if you're a note taker on your bulletin, if you turn it over, there's a place for notes. So if you want to take notes, uh, you are more than welcome. So we're going to start with this. He says, you are a God ready to forgive. You are Jehovah has said, gracious, gracious and merciful. So we're going to start with grace and mercy. What does it mean for God to be gracious and merciful in his forgiveness? So before I even say anything, let's consider a few passages. The references will be on the screen. Exodus 34, 6. This is going to sound very familiar. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So God has always been this way. This isn't just like 
God has always been this God, Jehovah has said. Isaiah 30, verse 18, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. John 1, verse 16, For from him, his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. That's one of my favorite passages. So not only have you received grace, but you've received it double and triple and quadruple and foreverfold grace. So we talk a lot about grace in church. And so this can slide right, like right over our head. So what is the biblical definition of, of grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God to you and to me, to people who are unworthy of it. It's God's unmerited favor to us. But what does it mean to be unmerited? It means that you cannot and will never be able to earn this grace, ever. You cannot maintain it. You cannot earn it. It's not something that God gives you and then you're kind of maintaining it as you go and you gotta kinda of try to live this like really perfect life in order for you to have grace. It's something that is given as a gift to you that is not based on anything that you do for God. It is solely on the basis and it's given solely on the basis of God's goodness. You can think about it this way. If God was not good, you would not have grace. You would not be able to earn it. You would not be able to kind of muster up enough faith to grab it. If God was not good, grace would not exist. But because he is good, it does exist, and he gives it to you. So unmerited. But unmerited favor, what does it mean to have favor with God? When the Bible speaks about favor, it is speaking about God's unwavering love for his people unwavering love for his people. So you can kind of think of grace in this sense. Despite your many sins and my many sins and all of our mess-ups, all of our screw-ups, all of our rebellions that we do on a day-to-day -day basis before Jesus, after Jesus, despite all of that, God has a heart that is unchanged towards you. It does not change. So despite what you've done in your past or what you do, it remains unchanged. Now, let me <laughs> clarify something. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God will tolerate everything that you do, okay? <laughs> this isn't a free pass to go out and just live your life and, oh, God is a gracious God and he will give it to me because his heart is unchanged and unwavering. I can do that. Mm, no. If you read scriptures, it's the whole point why the people of Israel went into exile. They refused to see that God was a God to be obeyed. God demanded and, and said, I want you to obey for your good, and I'll give you grace when you mess up. But, but forgiveness and grace go towards something. It's not just, here you go, go about your life. No, it's like, here's the grace, and it's going to push you towards the goal, which is holiness which is to walk with me faithfully. And so when we think of God's grace, we can't think of it in a way of, okay, God's heart is unchanging towards me. I could go about doing whatever I want. No, it's 
God, your heart is unchanged towards me despite the mess I created in my life. I can't even fathom that you would even allow that, but thank you that you do. Help me, Lord, to walk faithfully with you. That's the posture when we receive grace. Amen. So, grace and mercy characterizes the forgiveness that Nehemiah is attributing to God's name. The second thing is slowness to anger. God is slow to anger. What does that mean? So sometimes when I read, when I have read this verse, and maybe it's true for you too, I have read this, that phrase to mean that God does not get angry. Am I the only one? No, right? So sometimes I read that verse and I was like, oh, okay, God does not get angry anymore. New Testament God doesn't get angry. Old Testament God is very, 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 very angry. It's like, no, 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 no. God gets angry. Okay, God, God does indeed get angry. Um, think of it this way. Your sin and my sin crushed the Son of God. It crushed him. Like he bore the weight of God's full wrath. Now, that means that God is angry with sin. But it also means that he's gracious because he put it on Jesus and not on you. Right? So, God does get angry, but he has a bridled and righteous anger towards things that distort his creation, that come against his perfect plans and his will. And so that means sin, that means death, that means evil, that means Satan, that means the demonic influence and forces of this world. He hates that. And we can say that with confidence, but because of the grace of God, he is slow to anger towards you. He is slow to anger towards me, which means he is consistently exercising his divine patience with us. Consistently. I mean, think about that. Consistently exercising divine patience with you and with me. Let me try to hone it in with some scripture to kind of help you understand what I'm talking about here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we'll get into, like, I'm sure Pastor Sam is going to unpack this, like, heavy when we get into it. The Lord is slow, or the Lord, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 1 Timothy 1, verses 15 and 16. This is Paul speaking. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. That Jesus would exercise his perfect patience patience. So how long does it take you to get angry? (laughs) So for me, I'll give you a very weird and maybe relatable example. And there's a point to this. (laughs) So it takes me about 1.5 seconds to go from a complete moment of peace 
to complete frustration when I spill coffee in the car and I'm late, I'm like for work. Like if I spill coffee in the car while I'm driving or I'm running late, it's over. I'm throwing a fit. I'm like, dude, this day is over. Like it's over, right? I hate it. <laughs> now think about how like dumb that is. It's just coffee and it's, I have a car that I could spill coffee in and like it's okay, right? Like, I am quick to anger in those things. Now think about how much sheer wickedness is in the world right now, in all places, at all times. And think about the capacity that God has for that, for that stuff going on. If he wanted to, Jesus could come right now and put it all right. He could come right now, but he doesn't. Because Second Peter says that he is patient, not willing that any should perish. And so you have this God who there is immense amount of wickedness and rebellion that he is angry about. Why? Because it's destroying his creation. It's killing his people. It's distorting his plan for what he had uh, designed humanity for. He hates that. Yet he exercises extreme divine patience towards a wicked humanity. I mean, we cannot even comprehend that capacity of patience. I know I can't. And so R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul, he said it this way, it is part of God's character to be slow to anger and quick to be merciful. Part of the incomprehensibility of God in terms of my own relationship with him is this, I cannot fathom a holy God who has been able to put up with me marring his creation to the degree that I have for three score and five years. For me to live another day requires a continuation of God's gracious patience with my sin. A continuation of God's gracious patience with my sin that we have because of Christ. If we are in Christ, there is no more condemnation. God is exercising perfect patience with you. Again, doesn't mean that God is tolerating our sinful tendencies and tolerating our behaviors. It just means that he's willing to work with you in patience. Romans chapter 3, 23 through 25 is a perfect example of this in scripture. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who is he talking about? All people everywhere throughout all of history. All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Here it is. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. In his divine patience, he passed over the sins of humanity before Christ. So we're not going to get into all the weeds of like the Day of Atonement and Leviticus 16 and all the ways that God kind of provided a way for, I mean, this is why they celebrated Passover, to celebrate the fact that God passed over their sins in Exodus in Egypt. And so it's this reality that God is exercising his perfect patience by, he passed over former sins up until Jesus then he paid for it all. But he still passed over and he still had patience. And so 
that's a perfect example of God's slowness to anger. And even when he gets angry, it's not to the full extent of complete annihilation. I mean, he did it in Genesis chapter 7, and he, <laughs> he saved Noah. And we're here today because of it. Right? So God's anger, even when he does get angry, there's still grace in it. Okay, are you guys with me still? Okay. <laughs> so, forgiveness. Jehovah has said the forgiveness that is attributed to God's name can be characterized by grace and slowness to anger. The last one is abounding and steadfast love. So, God does not just give us his love, but he gives us steadfast or faithful love. So, what does that mean in relation to his name? So, a couple passages here. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. This is what it says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Psalm 136, verse 1, and actually the whole psalm is based on this idea. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 89, verse 2, For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. So God's steadfast love, if you guys remember, steadfast love, faithful love, is given particularly for his people. God has a common love and a common grace for everyone, and he loves the world, and he loves the sinner. But when the sinner becomes his child, it's a, it's a more intimate love. It's a steadfast and a faithful love that God will not abandon. And so for us, this is hard for us to grasp, right? How many times do you hear about situations of people being unfaithful in our world, in Christian culture, in churches? Like, we, ha we are inundated with so many examples of unfaithfulness. I mean, even think in your life, in my life, I cannot even count on a thousand hands how many times I have been unfaithful to the Lord. Anytime I put something else over him, unfaithfulness. Every time I went to something else for satisfaction, unfaithfulness. I have been unfaithful to the Lord many times in my life, and we all are guilty of that. And so it's hard for us, and this goes back to the beginning when I asked you, are there things in your life that you're like, I don't know if God can forgive that. Like, like with my mom, like, I don't know. Like, I went to war. I had to do things that I just, I don't know God can forgive. And it's hard for us to comprehend a God who does not waver in his faithfulness to you. Right? Again, not tolerating your sin, not tolerating my sin, but he is consistently pursuing those who are sinners, those who are imperfect. He is faithful to us. For God to express his steadfast love to his people means for him to be eternally unwavering in his love for them. Eternally. And because of that, again, it makes it difficult for us. So, again, I don't, I don't know what you guys have come in with. I don't know what your weeks have looked like. I don't know what like, has happened in your life that is still coming up to this day being like, listen, I struggle, like, I ask for forgiveness for this, but 
every now and then I'm like, God, did you? I don't know, because I'm still struggling with thinking that that's possible. And Pastor Sam talked a couple uh, sermons ago, (laughs) it's weird, a couple sermons ago about the adversary, your enemy, Satan. He would want nothing more than for you to believe that God's forgiveness has run dry or run out. That is a tactic of his. He wants nothing more than the people of God to believe that God is done with them. That you've gone too far this time, or God cannot forgive this thing, or this is just way above God's level or capacity for patience or forgiveness. And he will rip apart faith with that tactic. But we see in Scripture that God does forgive us and he is unwavering in his heart towards us and his love towards us. So, again, grace characterizes this forgiveness. Slowness to anger characterizes this forgiveness and abounding steadfast love. And not to mention, not only does he give you steadfast love, but he gives it to you in abundance. I didn't even talk about and go into all of that, but just know that there is a large amount of faithful love that God is giving you. So, God has expressed this way, like this name Jehovah has said, he has expressed this all throughout the biblical narrative, human history. He's done it throughout um, the entire narrative. Like if you read your Bible front to, front to back, you will see how quick humanity is to dive into depravity and evil. Like right off the gate in Genesis 1, I want to be God, and so boom, we plunge. But there's like this pulse of light where he says, but someone is going to come and crush the serpent's head. And then, boom, like, you know, depravity, depravity, depravity. And then another glimmer of hope God reveals, like, no, I will forgive them. I will renew them. Da, 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 da. Depravity, depravity, so on and so on. Until you get up to the point of Jesus in the incarnation where the apostle John in chapter 1 says that he is the true light. Jesus is the light of the world. And so that pulsating glimmer of hope of God being this God of forgiveness and still walking and being patient with people is now manifested in Christ. Like, it is a person. It is Jesus. It is God in the flesh on earth demonstrating this to people. And so, the message of the gospel reflects these things. Jesus is the full expression of that name, Jehovah has said, the God of grace, of slowness to anger and abounding love for his people. That's exactly what Jesus does to broken sinners in the gospel. That's exactly how he treated you and how he treated me. A couple passages about the gospel so that you know that I'm not lying to you. <laughs> First John 4. Verse 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 9. In him you have redemption through his blood the forgiveness 
of your sins and your trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace, which he lavished, going back to the abundance, he lavished it on you in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ Jesus. So again, as we think about this, and as those things come up in your mind about, oh man, I screwed up with that, I don't know if God could forgive that, or, let me say it this way, when you mess up again, not if, when you mess up again, and hopefully you don't engage in any like crazy sins, but John says, if we do, we have an advocate who is advocating for us, Jesus. We got to remember this name. Jehovah has said, the God of forgiveness, eternally the God of forgiveness. I want to put a disclaimer here. God does not change. He is eternal, which means his name does not change. It is eternal, which means that the forgiveness that is attributed to his name and all of what that means is available for you at all times in this life in this life. The Bible says it's appointed once for a person to die and then judgment. And so I want us to think about this in the context of, um, like, we got to be sober about this. If you are not a believer and you have not given your life to Jesus, this message is a beautiful message that God is giving to you and you have now. We don't know when we are going to pass. We don't know when the Lord is going to take us. And once that happens, there is no second chances. But God, again, does not allow that to happen sometimes. Again, we're all here, right? Because he is patient and he does not want any to perish, but want all to come to repentance with him. And so we think about this in the context of our families, we, if you're a Christian and you have an unbelieving family member, this is God's heart towards them. And you are to reflect that heart towards them so that they know that there is a God who can and will forgive them if they come to him. In the words of one of our students at CBC Youth, God's forgiveness does not run dry. It does not run dry. It's not a stream of water that just dries up. It's eternal. And you will go to heaven if you're a believer, and that forgiveness will be permanently attached to you. It's permanently attached to you right now if you're a believer in Christ. So, I don't have the slide. I'm not as cool as Sam, but whatever. This week, that's all, right? So, there's going to be a sheet. You're going to be handed to it. You're going to be handed it when you leave, and it'll have all this stuff that I'm about to say, okay? Let's read Lamentations 3 and Psalm 136. Lamentations 3 and Psalm 136. These, these chapters really um, give what we've talked about, the context uh, that, that we've also talked about in Nehemiah 9, and it's really, really helps us to really, really understand it more. If you need help praying or things to pray for, Lord, convince my heart of the beautiful promise of your forgiveness. Remind me that it is true and that it has been truly applied to me if I have asked for it and I've repented. And then this week, imitate Jesus, right? So when 
you find yourself in a situation where you might be getting frustrated, Mario dropping coffee, or something else may happen, right? Maybe someone offends you, maybe something happens at work, whatever the case, maybe you're rubbing shoulders with somebody in the store and you're like, right? Imitate Jesus, imitate these qualities, show grace, be slow to anger, as much as you can be, <laughs> Mario, and show steadfast love to your family, to those in your life who need Jesus. Show faithful love for them that God has. And so I'm going to pray. I think we're going to do one more song. And I'm going to have Joe come up after the song. And we're going to read this passage one more time. And so we read it in the beginning. We, we kind of unpacked it. And then we're going to read it again to capture the full weight of what it's saying again. So let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you. Ah. Thank you so much, Jesus. That you are the full expression of God's name, Jehovah has said. The God of forgiveness. The God of pardons. Lord, I just pray that this would not just be words or that we would walk out of here and completely forget about what we talked about, Jesus, but that this would sink into our hearts, whether we are regretting things in our past or we, are, we feel as though we're good, but, God, that we would ponder this idea that you are a God unwavering in your faithfulness to us, unwavering in your love for your people and your love for sinners. And so, Lord, we thank you we lift you up. We praise you, Jesus, for everything that you've done for us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your resurrection that has sealed our redemption and you've given us your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. We ask all of this in your mighty name. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.